Hello and welcome to the TPM podcast with Mario Girard. Today I have a very interesting guest, Dhananjay Mahajan with me. And he has over 25 years of working in tech and has a long career in Microsoft, uh, over 20 years, I believe. Uh, he's worked as a lead engineer as, and as a program manager for 15 years. And over the fa- past five years, he's been focused on program and product management. Uh, so would you like to introduce yourself? Dhananjay? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Mario. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. I've liked the podcast that you've done in the past. So a pleasure and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Dhananjay here. Uh, I'm a product manager. Uh, been doing product management for over 15 years now. Uh, called Program Management at Microsoft, Product Management in other companies. Uh, my primary focus started being a, few, a bit on the consumer side as uh, I started working on Windows 95 and Windows uh, Media and then switched over pretty quickly into distributed systems and what's now called cloud computing. So I worked and released many products as a program manager as well as a lead uh, uh, software engineer, uh, ranging from Windows, Azure, most recently, .NET. And after that, I, I started working more on enterprise solutions and that are targeted towards IT operations and developers, what sometimes is called as DevOps, to help enterprise uh, ad- you know, accelerate their cloud adoption. That's where I had the pleasure of working with Mario at uh, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. And most recently, I was the head of product at Heptio, uh, a startup which recently got acquired, and we worked on making Kubernetes ubiquitous in the enterprises. Um, so really looking forward to this discussion and the exchange of ideas uh, on product management and program management with you, Mario. Cool. So uh, I think what we've kind of penned out uh, for today is more, uh, you know, giving the program managers of the TPMs a flavor of what product management is all about, right? So what, in your opinion, is product management and how does it differ to program management? Yeah, great uh, question for the start. Uh, there are several similarities between both roles. And as you aptly noted at Microsoft, it was called program manager. They still call it as program manager. Uh, And there are aspects of it which go into product management. The job of a product manager in in the purest sense is to discover a service or offering that is usable of value to the customer and is feasible, something that can be delivered as a package service. Uh, it is the, you know, I look at that role really as having a three-pronged approach. One is having a customer or user empathy. The second one is having a good sense of technology and technical aspects that make it accessible to the customer. And then the third aspect is business acumen. Uh, and so those three things meld together to make a product manager. So let me go into a few examples of of how those interact. Uh, From a customer empathy standpoint, a product manager has to understand and own the entire customer experience. How the technology that you're providing uh, impacts, does it provide value to the customer, understand the customer journey. It involves uh, activities like talking to customer, understanding what they want or or translating that into needs, as we call it. Uh, And then coming up and helping the team understand what is the minimum viable product or what's the minimum lovable product which customers would like. So 
So, so basically, you are the voice of the customer, right? You are, you are, you are putting yourself in the customer's shoes, and you are the voice of the customer, yes. and you're trying to make sure that whatever you deliver is going to be used by the customer. Exactly, uh, and and I like that voice of the customer to translate also with my engineering teams yeah, so that they yeah. can start understanding it. So I I look at myself as the first voice who understands the customer, translates it, but I want all my engineering teams also to understand and start becoming an echo, echo that voice. So uh, a couple of things that you just brought up, right? One is talk to the customers. Uh, in my previous roles, I've had product managers who do like surveys, right? They do surveys with different customers, understand what the needs are, or you do some kind of focus groups and you figure out like, you know, whether that's what the customer wants or you've already identified a, a, a segment of the market and you're going after that particular segment. And then you're basically trying to see what that segment actually exactly wants. Yeah. Because sometimes we, uh, as even as product managers, right, you think the customer wants X, but actually he wants Y. Yes. And that's the most, I think, difficult job of the product manager to articulate that very clearly and make sure that what you're being the voice of the customer is very, very critical. Yes. Right. Uh, and I also think one other thing is that you got to get that right. Yes. Exactly. I, and I think that's why I personally have never moved to the product management side is because if you get it wrong, you might spend like a year or six months or eight months with a dev team of 20, 30 people maybe, yeah. and you build something out and the product doesn't fly after that, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's, that's you're bringing up a very interesting and important point, Mario, is understanding what is the minimum lovable product yeah. for yeah. the customer is important. And you're getting into um, some discussion we may have later on, which is uh, the difference between the the newer agile model, which yeah, is yeah. more iterative yeah. to the waterfall model where, you know, I've worked on products which I worked on for two, three years and yeah. then released, released it to customers and then found that customers didn't want that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So talking to the customers is important. Yeah. And that could be through, like you said, surveys. But what I like to also do is that echo effect. So not yeah. only do I do surveys, not only do I have my teams get involved in uh, a customer engagement program where yeah. we are uh, constantly iterating and talking to customers, but I also leverage my field, my sales okay. and services teams who are constantly engaging with customers to also become the voice of the customer. Yeah. So I'm in constant touch with what the customer needs are. And in, in the recent you know changes that are happening in disruptive markets, those things change a lot. Very which brings fast. me to the second point, which is which you made, which was very apt, which is customers will ask you for one thing as what they want. Yeah. But what they need is different from what <laughs> yeah, they want. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you an example. Uh, when I was working on a product, which was a cloud platform broker, which simplified deploying applications into the cloud uh, for enterprises, whichever cloud they wanted to go, whether they yeah. wanted to do AWS or they wanted to do uh, Azure, you know, yeah. Azure or Google Cloud or even Oracle Cloud, right? And they kept asking me like, hey, make this simpler, make this simpler. So I was focused on making things simpler. But what ended up happening is it the simplicity caused a, a side effect where 
there was a sprawl of all these cloud resources being used and it showed up in the customer's bill. This was back in 2014, uh-huh. right? So customers, I, I started chasing down what customers were asking me to do, which is simplify them consuming the cloud, which was great for cloud providers. But what ended up happening is that they got these huge bills and and they were shocked and that caused a negative effect in them stopping working with the cloud. Uh, So what they wanted was not just simplicity, but also controls and and sort of a targeted way to make sure that they're not overspending on the cloud. So, So... uh, after having realized that, and that that came through because of the customer interaction, yeah. is that the customer said, "Wow, we went from being able to deploy a hundred, uh, you know, uh, VM resources to the cloud to now I'm getting six thousand a month, and I don't know where <laughs> these six thousand are coming because you made it push button simple to deploy yeah, them, yeah. right? So I think it's it's a very important point to keep in mind." As we make those lovable products, we want to make sure that they don't become uh, hateable products, even if they are viable. Uh, And keeping an eye on what customers uh, want, but also keeping on what they need. So as you make things simpler to do, you want to also make sure that they have proper controls in place, especially enterprise products, so that it doesn't get out of control. And you also spoke about the minimum viable product or the minimum lovable product, right? How do you decide where that kind of... Yes. That's, that, is that's, it like six months or is it going to be eight months? Or is it like, it's, it's in terms of features. You can either look at it in terms of features or the term of time, right? Yeah. And how do you draw that line? Do you have any, like, if you can say it like two, three lines? Or how? Yeah. So that is always an art. Yeah. And there is no... Simple science formula. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there there is experience. a bit of science. Uh, there's experience that you bring in. And it all goes down to understanding the customer. Yeah. Understanding the business you are in, making sure that you are aligning your product offering with the vision, with the brand that you've created. Yeah. And making sure that you have metrics and controls to validate what you're doing yeah. in an iterative fashion. Yeah. So let me go on the understanding the customer. It's important to understand, are you solving what they're asking you to do or really identifying the problem under the covers? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what takes the, the uh, experienced product manager to not just ask, would you like to use feature X versus Y, yeah. but really understand what problem yeah, customers yeah. are facing. Yeah. Uh, secondly, it is important to understand, are you solving a problem that's pervasive and something that the customer is willing to pay. So their customers will tell you all kinds of problems. And especially you brought up a good point of segmenting your customers and looking after different segments. I've got one extreme of customer asking me to do X and another customer asking me to do Y. Yeah. And you have limited resources and time to exactly. do. Would you pick X over Y? That's where you want to decide, you know, are these customers aligned with the target market you're going after? And sometimes you may make some customers unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, And so if they are in your target market, are you solving the real problems that they want? I'll give you another example. We had a backup product that would backup clusters. It was well liked by the developers who already had clusters set up in their own private test environments and with a push button, they could back it up. 
when we went to the operations custom you know users yeah, yeah, of yeah. that product they were barely setting up clusters with those controls developers didn't want controls yeah. the operations folks wanted controls they didn't care of the operations folks didn't care about a backup yeah, product yeah, they're yeah. like i don't i don't even have a cluster to backup yeah 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 focusing on enabling them and they are the buyers right i mean yeah. developers are the ones who are testing it out but the buyers are the operations folks yeah. enabling the operations folks is going to see much more acceleration in an enterprise product where you're targeting first to enable them to set up several clusters and then back it up so those are kind of examples that help you understand are you focused on the right problem second thing is is it pervasive is that something that they are have uh facing right now and are you providing sufficient value that they're willing to pay for it if you have a paid product no, right no. second thing you want to do uh, the third thing you want to do is make sure you have constant engagement with these both these various customer segments and you're collecting feedback, feedback. on an ongoing pro-, yeah. pro so don't wait for your entire product to be ready and then push it out you know i i have had an engagement program where i had some trusted partners yeah. customers yeah. that i worked with i would even show them prototypes yeah 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 that my ux team had built yeah. we had not even created code out of it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and just mock prototypes just mock prototypes and then get their feedback and it will be amazing what you'll learn from Those from kind this of yeah, right yeah, yeah. so making sure that that's happening and once customers deploy your products have an active especially in the cloud world one of the benefits that we had even working in oracle cloud is with the consent of the customer we could actually track how customers are, are using the yes, product yes. you have to actively instrument the product to be able to collect yes. the metrics yes. so important to keep in mind that as you build the product make sure you instrument the product in such a way that you can collect usage metrics yeah. analyze them and then the reality is what customers are using versus what they're telling yep, you yep, yep. if you do these things you will make sure that you are using your engineering resources your sales most, resources in the most effective manner right. and tracking towards an mvp yep. and sometimes you'll have you'll have to make some wild guesses and bets yeah but validating that with the follow up yeah. really helps you yeah. rein it in so you spoke a lot about uh, b2c i come from a b2 uh, you spoke about b2b B2B. right i come from a b2c market and uh, one of the best things i think we did was use something like amplitude uh, and uh, mixpanel where mm. basically those are uh, built into your app and it actually tracks what a user actually does nice. so so supposing you take a user <coughs> session a users on any app facebook or anything you then see every button he clicks and and can you do it across like hundreds of thousands of users and see whether they're loving that new feature you just launched or they're not loving it and then if they're loving it you go and you invest more to make it more durable make it more scalable and you know add more features to that particular new feature you already added uh and then come back and you know reiterate to see if it's actually um, you know doing well and that and that's why you see a lot of uh, google does this right where they launch beta programs yeah. and google's probably at the extreme where they launch a beta for like many years <laughs> like i think gmail was on beta for a long long time right yeah. but they're trying to test and make sure that it works really well yeah uh, so cool and then you were going to the other thing right tech Uh, we started with what is product management and yeah. we got sidetracked a little bit because <laughs> of me. Uh, no, but it was an interesting conversation. Um do do product managers have to be technical? Yeah. 
I think it depends on the product. On one X end, we have companies like Mario, you and I have worked yeah. on, which are you know cloud and distributed computing, and your customers are fairly technical. They are either developer or IT operations folks yeah. or architects or working on the cloud, and and te- technical aspects help a lot. And then you have certain other products where uh, I've never worked at Apple, but I've heard that yeah. Apple actually employs non-technical. Yeah, uh, people without a technology background to design their products yep. so that they're more uh, user friendly for yeah. the non techy folks. Yeah, 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 right. But I feel like, especially in the area that we are working on, uh, technology, uh, even for consumer products, helps a product manager yeah. in these following aspects. One is you have to win a lot of credibility with your engineering teams, yep. and uh, and you know having a technical background uh, and and I've been a developer in the past helps me have empathy towards what my engineering cost is going to be what my engineers are going to go through I may not be having a full understanding of the implementation yeah. but when a customer asks me can you do x you know yeah. a customer is like a kid in a candy shop and yeah, they, yeah. they may ask all <laughs> kinds of requirements having that technical background helps me translate that customer and business requirement to what the technical requirements would be and also get additional details from the customer, from sales teams, from field, so that I'm armed with all the data we need to make the prioritization decisions. Because ultimately, the the priority of what you will build for MVP not only rests on fixing the pervasive problem, but also understanding what the cost of the problem is. Yeah. If the problem is pervasive, has great value for the customer, but the cost is so high that you'll be working on it for the next three years. Yeah. It, you know, you, you may have lost the opportunity because the market has moved on. Yeah. Your, your other products competition would have moved in and taken that. Uh, so you want to work on, pro, you know, fixing the features or prioritizing the features that have highest impact and, sort of lowest cost, highest impact on the value for the customer and, and lowest engineering cost, engineering cost or yeah. resource cost, customer yeah. acquisition cost. And so, so the technical background helps me. And thirdly, you know, often product managers get involved in doing proof of concepts. Yeah. So if I have a developer customer target, then then writing a simple piece of code or or an app actually helps me understand my customer better Got it. Uh, and also helping my engineering team better. So yeah, uh, recently what happened was, uh, so Amazon was the first company, I think, which launched <coughs> the TPM as a role, technical program managers. And now if you look at Amazon, Amazon's actually launched the PMT, which is a product manager technical. That's a new role which they've launched, I think, the last three, four years. And it's the, you see more and more people who are moving to the PMT role because uh, one is because it's about it's because of AWS mm-hmm. because AWS is again going back your customers are your developers yeah. and the product manager who's building say a database as a service is going to be really really a hardcore database engineer who knows ins and outs of the database yeah. to actually be a product manager on the database side and then it's slowly kind of moving to other areas as well where <coughs> Product managers need to know the intricate workings. Supposing you're uh, doing an API platform right? yeah. or an SDK for customers, um, you need to know what the customer's needs are 
And most of the time, those needs are very technical. Yes. So I think there's a difference between uh, being a B2C, maybe like something like Facebook, you're, you're doing very something very front-end. Yes. Right? Uh, they could be back-end PMTs, but front-end P- PMs are not necessarily technical. They're more like a customer's voice, as you said, right? Mm-hmm. But when the customer's voice and the customer is, himself is, de- is a developer, or the development community, then you need to really be on the technical side. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's generally true. Uh, though I'll also tell you from my background of working on Windows Media Player. Yeah. And we were building a new format. Yeah. This was back in yeah, yeah. early new 2000s. Encoding. New yeah. encoding format. New encoding format. And uh, it was important to understand how we can protect digital content, yes. yet make it simpler. Yeah, yeah. For the end user to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, these were the early days of MP3 and privacy and and so on. And one of the bad things which we did is have an engineering mind design digital rights. Yeah, yeah. DMCA, yeah. Which made it hard for a customer to use it, right? So I feel like sometimes even uh, you you need to have a good balance of... Between the two. Between the two, even for consumer facing in certain... Uh, certain areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes uh, sense. And the next one you were talking about was the business acumen, right? Yeah. So more and more, now that you bro- brought up, you know, PM technical being a role at Amazon. Yeah. Uh, more and more companies are looking at uh, product managers, uh, which is is a hard role because you know you have to wear several hats. Also understand the business and own the business. At the startup that I was working at, we expected product managers almost to be like business owners who are driving the business, not just doing the technology side of it. So they own the P&L, they own making sure that, you know, you have ARR or annual recurring revenue. uh, and, And that is measured as part of the overall scorecard for whether a product is successful or not. And this is especially important for smaller organizations, startups that are that are moving into a disruptive market. Cool. And cool. that's why having that business acumen is, is required. Uh, understanding how you can take a product roadmap and yet accomplish your business goals, not just do technology for technology's sake, what we used to call as building honest technology. Will a customer not just, will this not only bring value to solving a customer problem, but also is the customer willing to pay for it? Yeah is an yeah. important aspect. And if you don't get that as a product manager, if you don't own the revenue generation, pricing, go to market, how you'll help with the sales team, then you end up building products which are more, you know, just because they're fancy yeah. technology gadgets yeah, yeah, than yeah. something that's solving a problem that customers will pay for. Yeah, yeah. I recently wrote a blog uh, because I met a, um, I recently met a person who at Amazon and... Uh, I was like, what are you doing? So he was a product manager for a long time uh, at Amazon. And then he picked up a new role where the title of the role is a single threaded leader. I don't know if you've heard of this. Hmm. Uh, So at Amazon, they're launching these new um, startups within an organization. Yes. Right. So, So he basically owns, I don't want to talk about the product exactly, but he owns something where he owns the entire P&L. Within a larger part of a team, okay. uh, there's say there's a team of say like you know a thousand developers, a thousand people team. It's a fairly mature product, but they see uh, an an initiative where there's a third party outside Amazon actually trying to do something. 
Mm. They say, hey, why is he doing it? Why don't we do it? Right? So it's kind of a POC. You have uh, one year maybe to go and launch that. You're given a you're given a budget and a PL. And he basically works and his whole thought is to just launch that particular product within a product. Mm. Right? It's an independent entity, but which will help the bigger product. And it's called as a single threaded leader. Uh, and he's a product manager. And then he slowly moved to this uh, more senior, I think it's a more senior role mm. where you own end to end, you're allowed to hire your own team. And then you, you know, go and develop. It's a very singular goal. The product PMTs have, none of the PMTs, the single thread donors have a very singular goal. Go launch this in X amount of time and you're given X amount of dollars to go do that. Yeah. So that's something which you're talking about. The business acumen, product yeah. product knowledge uh, to go do something like that. Yeah. And, and that's uh, also a trend I saw in my final years at Microsoft. And I've heard since leaving Microsoft that that's become even more is that basically I was I was I was a partner product man, program manager, not a product manager, uh, working with partners of yeah. Microsoft to promote Microsoft Cloud. Yeah, and I was given uh, I won't name the you know value, but a budget, budget to go pick my partner the solutions yeah. and drive up adoption of Microsoft exactly. Cloud exactly. with certain metrics yeah. around yeah. it. And and there's and, and that. It's that a, was the most rewarding experience. Yes, one of the because you're given a free hand. Yeah, the the, <clears throat> the organization hundred percent trusts you. Yeah, it's you, all the decisions are yours. Yeah, right. You basically are given a problem to solve, and they don't care how you solve it. Of course, you're having like quarterly or monthly meetings with their senior management, yes. telling them how you're doing. But basically, you own that entire space. Yeah, end to end. Right, you pick your own customers. You have your own budget, and you're trying to do X or Y. So it's a very yes, as as I said, it's very as you said, it's very very rewarding. Yeah. So cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how product management differs uh, in an agile versus a more traditional. Uh, and I think you worked on both sides, right? You worked yeah. on the agile side of, of the world, and you also worked on. I think you just mentioned like two years to do a product sometimes, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and how does that differ? Yeah, I mean, I used to, I've been on. There, there is a difference between working on a platform, an operating system, which, you know, is prolific and being used by thousands, thousands and millions of customers out there and making yeah. one change could impact, even if it's 1%, a large number of customers, yes. right? And that, that in, and even in traditional days, you know, making that one change, like I'm sure how they design, and I worked on a NASA project to the Cassini space mission. Everything was in a waterfall model where everything was tested to the end degree, spec to the end degree before it was even handed off to the engineering team, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, things have changed now. It's it's much more of an agile model where you try something out as an experiment. If it sticks, it sticks. Yeah. You know, you'll have a few failures and there's there's It's more, about failing fast. It's about failing fast, exactly. And that's where I think product management being the role that leads the organization into the change has to be most adept at, you know, that agile development. And that doesn't mean just knowing Scrum and yeah, new yeah. agile methodologies, but really understanding that you are not going to just build the final spec, you know, wrap it up and hand it off to engineering and not see it until it's all done. But you're going to be more involved in the day-to-day -day process of understanding requirements, <clears throat> helping engineering translate it, 
be collaborative with field sales engineering customers and marketing be in an iterative cycle where you're actually coming up with the minimum viable or usable product and releasing it validating it and then failing fast like you said using the feedback that comes from customers to make sure that you're not going down a path which is going to create a product which is not going to be usable uh but but it's kind of like uh, what what in one of my organizations we should we would call it as let's build a skateboard mm-hmm. then we'll build a cycle okay and then we'll build a car and then we'll build a plane now if you look at the skateboard nobody will predict you are trying to build a plane in the yeah, long term yeah yeah right but you start with whatever is minimal that can be quickly tested yeah. and your customer all they want to do is move from point a to point b yeah. and they're not looking for flying a plane yeah. maybe eventually they will want to go across the continents yeah, and yeah. then you build the plane so having that agile mindset focusing on the mvp and continuous uh, improvement is really important and with with scrum becoming more popular it has really given rise to that product owner product manager and tpm and product managers working together in a collaborative environment to do this in an iterative fashion uh so that you can be more agile <clears throat> and that makes you i feel more customer focused like i mentioned to you i've been on products in the past where we were heads down building what we had spec'd and then didn't see the customers for a year two years and then found out that customers didn't want that us to solve the problem right yeah. that's gone so this agile methodology and this this new model is definitely making us more customer focused so i see that agile's really taken off uh where you have a b2c product where it's like you know it's an app or something like that is a website an application on your phone uh do you see it change in the enterprise space as well absolutely absolutely even that uh, oracle as well as uh, in my startup more recently because that's my experience and even prior to that as I was building a cloud broker. We engage with customers on a regular basis. Got it. Uh, now, true that the buying cycles in enterprises are much not longer. slower; they're mm-hmm. much longer. Yeah, yeah. So customers will be on a trial period much longer. Yeah. <clears throat> But you have more interaction with the customer. You know the customers. You can segment them. You can group them. So. Agile is done just a bit differently. And by the way, when I say agile, doesn't mean uh i'm expecting everyone to go get agile certification yeah, yeah, yeah. in fact i have not found a single team i worked at which used agile to the spec yes, that yes, i yes, i got trained yes, on yes. right so with enterprises it's a flavor, it's a flavor of agile yeah, yeah. with enterprises what i typically do is come up with the top two or three problems customers have to solve build an end to end scenario which is usable for the customer and then present that idea before we start working on it through a prototype to the customer get their feedback yeah work on it and even if it's not completely done i have a a you know trusted customer yeah. group which i may release beta to so so the the cloud offers a great opportunity for enterprises to have small teams where i can release features and do ab testing for yeah, example yeah, yeah. Yeah. having those capabilities makes agile possible even in the b2b uh, product world yeah uh, yeah 
So yeah, in the agile, uh, I was talking to somebody at LinkedIn uh, a couple of months ago, uh, and I think they were saying at any given point in time, uh, LinkedIn, the LinkedIn app, the LinkedIn mobile app, is running six to eight hundred A/B tests. Wow! Right. Just think about that. There are six to eight, and they have they have a very beautiful way to segment customers. So they can launch an A/B test just in India, for example, yep. or they can launch A/B testing for a particular segment of customers, right? And they can just see, oh, how is it doing for that particular segment, or how is it doing in this particular market? Uh, and that is the beauty of agile, right? Because you can go in, you can release something for one percent of your population, yes. uh, and then see how it does, and then you can roll it out or roll it back yeah. if it doesn't meet the target metrics, right? Correct. You say this is what I want. I want engagement to go up. I want DAU daily active usage to go up. Yeah. Right. So you have a certain metric, and you're trying to hit that metric. And if the metric is defined before the product is started and launched, mm-hmm. then you, when you launch it to five percent of your audience or two percent of your audience, you actually can go back and measure it and say, hey, this is what I did. This is the outcome, and because of the outcome, I think we should launch it and make it a more uh, wider. You know, go to a wider audience, yeah. and the trial and error, right? To do that is beauty. Is the beauty of agile. Yeah, I feel especially in the B two C market, uh, you have to have the A B testing framework built into your product, and the we spoke about metrics and collecting the usage, right? It has to be there because without that, you cannot move forward. Mm. There's no way of knowing whether your whether your customers. whether your customers are going to love it or not, and to launch it to the entire population set does not make any sense because then you can't roll it back easily right so so, so in the b2c market if you don't mind me asking you a question uh, you're collecting some metrics yeah. from the back end yeah do you actually actively engage in cus- direct customer feedback so so that's what if you look at product managers in, in the b2c space uh they do uh the focus groups you said trusted partners is one way yeah. of enterprises doing it uh the b2c does it with focus groups where you have like xy you know, focus groups in this particular uh, region or this particular uh, geography or something like that. And then um, that's before you even go into the product definition phase. So it starts with the focus groups. And then once you start defining it, then you send out surveys to a large group of your uh, customers who have, you know, opted in to do some surveys for you. And then you start building it. And then you do the A-B testing over a period of time. Right. So it's, uh, I think... Scrum, as you said, Scrum, Agile, or whatever you want to call it, uh, is more of a framework. I think the framework has reached a point in, point of maturity where you have a lot of other things which a lot of people don't talk about, right? If you if you are looking at Agile uh, product managers at at companies like Facebook or um, LinkedIn or where they have millions of users, you see that you have to be at this cadence where you're defining your features properly, you're talking to your customers, even if it's a smaller set, and then you start launching it into the market with a small controlled population set. Because if you have a hundred different features, nobody's going to like it. It's going Your app is going to look, you know, busy and nobody's going to use anything, right? Uh, so it's a <clears throat> continuous A-B testing. And I see that, you know, companies like even Amazon, they do a lot of A-B testing. Uh, Facebook actually launches... Uh, you know, something new, like a code drop, every two hours or every hour, you just don't realize it because it's maybe a, just a color change in one small button, which somebody thought, okay, that might change things. 
or it could be a, a, you know a small feature somewhere which nobody uh, which a small percentage of people use yeah. right so it's very interesting that way hi folks thanks for listening and i really hope you enjoyed that i've had to edit this podcast in three parts so this is the end of part 1 parts 2 and 3 have already been published so please do listen in 